Hello there, friends, and welcome on into episode five of The Sco Show. My name is Mark Schofield, proudly a part here of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks over at SB Nation. Episode five of The Sco Show is a locked and loaded show. We have our chat with Evan Lazark upcoming. We're going to sit down with Evan and talk about what we saw against Tennessee, some of the numbers game that the Patriots are facing on a few different roster positions, as well as a variety of other topics. We're also going to do some news and notes, some of the players that I watched in that Saturday night contest and more. But first, your usual cavalcade of reminders. Please do follow along the hijinks, the Twitter machine, at Mark Schofield. Check out the work at a variety of places, InsideThePylon.com, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, and yes, that holy trinity of SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host the QB Sco Show with the venerable Michael J. Kist, and of course, Pat's Pulpit, where you find this show and others. Now, I said, going to do some news and stuff at the outset, but first, some personal news. I usually say something along the lines of, hey, I'm in the big chair, I'm back in the big chair, but the big chair is a little different today because over the past couple of days, the family has moved. Local move, just 20 minutes northern, north away a little bit from D.C., um, so I'm here in what is actually an office. Those of you longtime listeners to the Locked On Patriot show when I was hosting that or the QB Sco show, I would sometimes be recording in a dining room, in a bedroom, outside, in a car. But now your boy has an office, a home office. I'm going to get like TVs and whiteboards set up. It's like professional and stuff. We're pretty excited about that, but it's been a hectic couple of days here. Moving even with professional help, it's always rough. But we're back here and we're ready to roll. We did have some news that dropped both over the weekend and early this week. And you might have caught my appearance with Pat Land from Pat's Pulpit sitting down and talking. First, Josh Gordon, reinstated, immediately can rejoin the team. Can't play in preseason game number three because of condition and whatnot. But we probably expect to see him in preseason game number four. So having Josh Gordon back was a big boost. So Pat and I sat down, check out that podcast that dropped on Friday night, the emergency show, breaking down the return of Josh Gordon, what we thought it means. But I want to pair that news with some news that's come out this week. Now today, Tuesday, Demarius Thomas back in pads. He was in shells, helmet, shoulder pads, doing some work. And so this wide receiver group has gone from kind of a question mark after Julian Edelman to, all right, well, now we're seeing Nikhil Harry emerge. We're seeing Jacoby Myers emerge. And now we've got Gordon and we've got Demarius Thomas potentially back in the fold. And this brings up the number 10. Today's show brought to you by the number 10. Little nod to Sesame Street there. But what I mean is, could this be a 10 personnel team? And I've talked about this on the show already. And I hypothesized, others have too, that perhaps the goal for this team from a personnel standpoint is to be a 10 personnel team, four wide receivers, a running back, no tight end. You replace the tight end production with wide receivers. And perhaps their ideal personnel package is Gordon on one boundary, Thomas on the other boundary, Nikhil Harry and Julian Edelman as your slot type guys, and then whatever running back you want to have out there. But perhaps that's the 10 personnel package that they have in mind. Maybe things have taken a little bit of a turn with Jacoby Myers and the emergence of the rookie 
out of NC State, maybe you might see him worked into that mix too. But could this be a 10 personnel team? With Thomas and Gordon back, that's closer to being a reality. Two players I want to talk about before we chat with Evan. Their performance from Saturday night. First, if you know me, you know I'm going to talk quarterback. So we're going to talk a little bit of Jared Stidham, engineered a game-winning drive of sorts. He did have two big mistakes. One was the safety in which he was slow with his initial decision. He was pressured, escaped well, but the initial slow decision is a play-action concept. He had a vertical route that he had a check down available to him. It was a little bit slow to really get to that with his with his eyes. So by being slow with the decision, he put his offensive line, and in particular his protection, into a bad situation. Now he escaped well, but risky in the end zone. And as we saw, you, if you try to escape late, that can sometimes lead to holding penalties. And in the end zone, that's a safety. So he had a mistake there. On the throw to Brissett, that hitch route when they went empty, that should have been a pick six. He was slow there and maybe didn't get enough velocity on it. Maybe he thought he was going to get more off coverage. Corner read it extremely well. Should have had the pick six. So, yes, those were two plays that kind of should have not happened or at least not turned out the way they did. I think if he's going against starters, that is probably a pick six. But he had some plays that I loved. You know, early, later in the third quarter, after that near pick six, they faced a third and ten, climbs the pocket well, gets what he can with his legs. You like to see the that athleticism. Earlier in the third quarter, on a second and six, slid well in response to pressure, moves to his right, hits Saubert, who sat down for him. I liked that play. I loved his placement on a number of throws. Early in the fourth quarter, they faced a second and six. At about the 10.43 mark, he's under center, runs a play-action play. He has Jacoby Myers crossing from right to left, puts some touch on it, doesn't drill it in there, so makes it a nice, easy, catchable ball, but to the upfield shoulder, he leads him well. Second and seven in the fourth quarter, slides away from pressure again, gets it off to Myers. Nice play on that one. The bang eight throw to Dontrell Inman, second and eight, 7.36 left in the fourth quarter. I thought that was a nice play. And then look, the touchdown, that was a perfect throw to Patterson. You can't put that back shoulder ball in a better spot. You just can't do it. That was a perfect like precision throw. But maybe his best play of the night was their final drive, second and 22. You know, you're up five now, but you need to convert this. You don't want to give Tennessee the ball back with a chance to come back and win this game. So you need to get some yardage here. Patriots dial pass wide juke. The play they ran three straight times at Super Bowl 53. They run it here. It's Myers on the juke route. Stidham checks the hitch to his right, then he immediately comes to the juke. Myers is there, perfect throw and catch, gets him 16 yards, and they're able to convert the third down. So, all in all, another impressive performance from Jared Stidham. And interestingly enough, if you follow Phil Perry, Phil A. Perry on the Instagram, he had a poll up, Hoyer or Stidham, who should be the backup. Stidham was running away with it, 82% of people who responded. Not that it's a scientific poll or anything, but you do feel the fan base start to turn for Jared Stidham. Speaking of a fan base turning, Chase Winovich certainly winning some people over. Winning over the graders at Pro Football Focus. Now, I know sometimes people question Pro Football Focus and their grading and all sorts of stuff like that, but they do do a pretty good job. Chase Winovich, was he headlined, according to the PFF underscore Patriots account. 
He headlined the PFF NFL Team of the Week for preseason week two with a grade of 93.6, which was the highest grade on the defensive side of the ball. And PFF's main account also tweeted out that he is pulling ahead of Rashawn Gary in the preseason. And in one area, pass rush winning percentage, he's third best since 2015. I'm on edge defenders with a minimum of 25 pass rush reps. Mario Addison, Deshaun Hall, and then Chase Winovich, who's won 40% of his pass rush reps. But perhaps the play that sticks out to me, it was about a 15-yard run. It was a 15-yard run that they gave up to Akeem Hunt. But it was Chase Winovich chasing this play down from behind. He's off the right tackle. They're off the right side. He gets into the backfield. The play gets by him. And so Hunt, the running back, when Winovich starts to turn direction, he's at the 28-yard line or so of Tennessee on the right hash mark. And the running back, Hunt, is at the 31-yard line of Tennessee, the left hash mark. So it's about four yards on the field. But because of the way the running back bends, he kind of bends closer to Winovich in a sense, but still, he's past him. And this is an NFL running back. And Winovich just chases him down from behind. And really, by the time he disengages from his blocker, Hunt's got about five yards on him. And Winovich just chases him down from behind. A tremendous, tremendous play. And so, these two rookies, Stidham and Winovich, they're certainly making a name for themselves this preseason. When you factor in Jacoby Myers as well and what he's done, that's just three guys. Not to mention, and we're going to talk about this with Evan in a moment, the punter battle. Jake Bailey winning the job. Ryan Allen giving his walk of paper. So there's four rookies right there. And of course, Isaiah Wynn, who can say he's technically a rookie, he didn't play last year. So they're getting a lot of production from young guys, and you love to see that at this point in the preseason. But up next, my chat with Evan Lazar from CLNS Media. We're going to talk a whole bunch of stuff Pats related. That's ahead on Episode 5 of The Sco Show. And welcome back to Episode 5 of The Sco Show, brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation, Mark Schofield in the big chair. Happy to be joined by one of my favorite people on the Pats beat, Mr. Evan Lazar from CLNS Media. Evan, buddy, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, Mark. I, I, I missed you. I feel like we haven't talked in a long time. It's uh... It's been a while. We usually do like the pre-draft show where we talk about quarterbacks. We talked some Stidham. Yeah. But it has been too long, my friend. How you been? I, I've been good. I think you were, we did, you had you on for the pre-draft show at the quarterbacks. And I'm pretty sure that you threw Stidham out there at the last second. Like, you know, maybe with Stidham. And I, I was like, really? You think so? And then here we are. So and, it's a good here we are, you know, people are like falling in love with the kid. And we're going to get to Stidham in a second. But look, huge news. The punter battle. It's has over. been resolved. What does the release of Ryan Allen tell us anything? Does it tell yeah. us anything? Well, I think that what it tells us is that all of our eyes of the beat writers that have been down there in training camp, it was you could see a noticeable difference when they would put side-by-side side of Allen's ball and Jake Bailey's ball. The way that the ball came off Jake Bailey's foot was just different. It was, it was just 
it was a higher ball. It was a further ball. You know, just everything about it was just different. I also think that Belichick absolutely loves that Jake Bailey can handle kickoffs too. That mm-hmm. kind of versatility to do both of those things and maybe take off some of that pressure from Steven Guskowski and just have Guskowski focus on field goals. I, I think that there is a little bit of that as well. But, you know, I, I think that it wasn't so much the money of savings or the uh, the investment of the fifth round pick as it was that Jake Bailey was just pretty clearly a better punter from the the jump, which is saying a lot because Ryan Allen's a pretty solid punter. You know, Evan, you mentioned Gostowski and taking some of the pressure off of him. We're going to talk about preseason game two in a second, but he missed another field goal. Do you yeah. think that that might play into it somewhat, letting him just focus on field goals and extra points? I think that that's ho- the hope. I, we talked to him about it in the offseason right after they drafted Bailey and everybody kind of knew about the big leg and the kickoffs and all that kind of stuff. And he actually said that he likes to do kickoffs because it gets him on the field more. So it kind of makes him feel like he's a little bit more involved in the game and not just kind of waiting around to kick a field goal or kick an extra point. So maybe, you know, in his head, it, it might not be that that way. But I think that overall, it you know, there is some sort of element to it of, you know, just focusing on that. And also, I think after a while, you can only max out the leg so many times in the season. You know, it's after a while of swinging the leg over and over again for kickoffs when you're trying to boom it as hard as you can. It, that, I'm sure, kind of weighs on the leg a little bit as we get into you know the playoffs and later on in the season. So maybe just taking off some of those reps will be good, too, for him. You know, Evan, we are coming off week two of the preseason, the Patriots with a win over the Tennessee Titans. What were your major takeaways from that game on Saturday night? Well, when I I actually wrote about it the other day, and and that was just kind of the youth movement and all the kids, just every single one of these guys just kind of coming out of nowhere. And, you know, in some cases like a Jacoby Myers and or, you know, a guy like Chase Winovich, who I thought was a steal at 77, just playing out of his mind right now. Um, so I think that the rookies were really, really impressive. Obviously, some of the second-year guys like Isaiah Wynn also were impressive. So, you know, listen, those are the guys that are playing right now. I made that point in the article that, you know, listen, we're not seeing Tom Brady. We're not seeing Julian Edelman. We're not seeing Dante Hightower, Stephon Gilmore. So some of it is just that the rookies are the ones that are playing in these games. But at the same time, I also think that they it's better than them playing poorly. You know, um, they're playing well. And, uh, and that's a good sign. And I think that a couple of these guys, Winovich uh, being chief among them, I think is really has a chance to contribute this season right away. Um, him, Myers, I think has the potential to do that. Damian Harris. So a lot of good things uh, from the young guys. You know, one of those young guys that we talked about a bit at the Open, Jared Stidham, had another up-and-down night but did throw sort of a game-winning touchdown pass. How has he progressed so far in his first NFL training camp, and how have you felt about his performance these past two weeks? Yeah, I think that, you know, what's crazy about Stidham, and I've said this a few other places, but what's crazy about Stidham is that his very first minicamp practice that we were able to see that was open to the public, or not open to the public, open to the media, I should say, he threw an interception to Deron Harmon in a walkthrough drill right to him threw it right the ball right to him and we're all looking around like did that just happen all the players are kind of looking around like did that just happen and i'm thinking to myself when i see that like okay we got a long way to go with this guy then we came back for training camp in july and he looked like a completely different person you know he just was he was sharper he was getting the ball out a little bit faster he still struggles sometimes in practice and we see we saw this a little bit 
uh, in the second preseason game against the Titans with getting rid of the ball. Right. You know, he could hold the ball in the pocket a little bit too long and, and maybe stall on some of his progressions a little bit sometimes. But at the same time, I, I think the throw-making and the arm talent is pretty obvious. And just like I said, the, the poise and the command of the offense and the ability to, to avoid turnover-worthy plays, I know he didn't do that so hot on Saturday night. But in training camp, for the most part, that has really turned quite a 180 from like what we saw at Auburn in his last year and then what we saw in minicamp to now, it's the progression is pretty impressive. Do you think there's a chance they look at him as the backup this year, or do you still think he's sort of future down the road, Brian Hoyer is going to be this team's number two? I think that there's a chance. I think there's a chance that Stidham, because I think the thing is, is that if Tom Brady does go down, knock on wood, if that does happen, right, do you would you rather play Stidham or Hoyer? I I would kind of lean towards rather playing the kid and see what he's got, you know, and right. and 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 go that direction with it. It's similar to actually uh, my colleague Alex Barth pointed this out. It's similar to when the Patriots went with Brady in 01 over Damon Heward. You know, right. Damon Heward was the veteran backup. He was technically the number two on the depth chart, but they ended up going with the, the young Brady at the time because they saw a little bit more upside there with him, and they thought maybe, you know, let's see what this kid has. And I think that it's similar with Stidham versus Hoyer. I still think Hoyer has a role on this team, and one thing that's certainly clear just talking to Tom Brady is that Brady really trusts Hoyer and relies upon Hoyer in some small ways that add up to, you know, all the little things can add up to big things at the end of the day. So I don't think that Tom Brady would be too psyched if they cut Brian Hoyer or traded Brian Hoyer. But I do think that if the situation presented itself, that Stidham would actually probably be the guy that would start games over Hoyer, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Evan, Patriots wide receiver room got a bit of a boost the past couple of days. Josh Gordon's reinstatement, Demarius Thomas working out today. What does the return of these two players potentially mean for this wide receiver group in this offense? Well, with Josh Gordon, I think it means a ton. Like, I think that the sky is the limit for this offense if they can have Josh Gordon be in the offense on a regular basis. Obviously, it's it's not about Josh Gordon on the field. It's about his, you know, accountability and reliability off the field. And can they count on him to be there every single day and be there throughout the entire season? I, I don't know. In some respects, and I, I mean this in strictly a football sense, obviously we're all rooting for him as a person, but – in strictly a football sense, he does often feel like a ticking time bomb, like that we're just waiting for the next suspension or the next setback to come through. So that's, I think, you know, a little bit troublesome with him, obviously. But on the field, I mean, last year he was one of the more efficient receivers in the league. He led the league in, uh, or second in the league in yards per catch. He was among the league leaders. I think he was third in the league in yards per attempt on throws from Brady, uh, almost 12 yards per attempt when Brady targeted Josh Gordon. So they were putting up yards in a hurry when those two were, you know, clicking and, and they were throwing the ball to Josh Gordon. So him on the field is obviously great for the Patriots. It's just a matter of keeping him there. With Demarius, I'm not as high on it, to be honest with you. I, I watched a lot of his 2018 tape when they made the signing. And pre-Achilles, I felt like he had kind of lost a step. And I don't really think he's challenging anybody with his speed anymore. Now you add another Achilles injury. He had one early on in his career. And now you add another one into the mix. And I just don't know how much he has left in the tank. I think he can be like a solid veteran receiver now and win with, you know, good routes and body positioning and strong hands and stuff like that. 
I just don't think that he's a big time difference maker. So I, I find it interesting to see how they're going to shake this whole thing's going to shake out at receiver and what they're going to do with Demarius because it feels like they have a plan for him because he's been around and he's at every single practice, even when he was on the pup list and he's working out and he's now he's trying to make this comeback, I think, sooner than we all expected. So I think the question is now is what is really the plan? Because it feels like they have something in mind for him to be involved in 2019, even if, you know, maybe I think that he's lost a step or other people think that they should keep some of the younger receivers like Barrios or Maurice Harris. Evan, obviously I'm not going to hold you to this. You know, it's still August 20th, but if you had to sit here right now and predict what wide receivers they keep, or at least how many, what would your prediction be? So funny you should ask. I actually just dropped a roster projection today. So there's six guys. I obviously don't, I don't count Matthew Slater okay. as one of them. So six guys, Julian Edelman, Nikhil Harry, of course, Philip Dorsett, Demarius, Jacoby Myers, and Josh Gordon. Those were the six that I had. So I basically I have them cutting Mo Harris and Braxton Berrios as of right now. Um, and that's mainly because of the news today that Tom- Thomas was coming off of Pup. I thought they were going to leave Thomas on Pup for the first six weeks of the season. I mean, that Achilles injury just happened in late December. It was right. pretty pretty crazy that he's already back so we'll see what happens there Uh, but those are kind of the six that i have in mind right now and you know listen i I think like i tweeted out today that a lot of those guys do have question marks i think that's a fair criticism of this group to say that you can't count on josh gordon harry and myers are rookies thomas i don't know what he has left in the tank dorsett is obviously flashed at times but has never really been a, a number two even receiver in an offense consistently so there are some question marks but there's also i mean if all if a couple of those guys out or if all of those guys work out like that's a really really good group that's a fantastic group if they all pan out obviously yeah. another thing that needs to pan out is that left tackle spot but we're seeing isaiah win get back in the fold what are your thoughts sort of on his first set of tests over the past couple of days yeah, I think that Isaiah Wynn is ready to go. I think that he's going to be the starting left tackle week one. I think the thing that you see out of him, first of all, he is by far their best option at left tackle in practice. Like It's so clear that he's the best left tackle that they have on the roster right now. So I, I would really be shocked if he's not the guy in week one. But I think the biggest thing that you see out of him is, uh, you know, I, I've been kind of talking, or, you know, talking to some people about this, and it's interesting. You know, the Patriots, like a guy like Trent Brown, for example, they need to with Trent Brown he can sit back and catch guys right like he can wait, wait till guys come to him because he's six foot nine 360 pounds so no one's gonna run through Trent Brown with Isaiah Wynn he's a little bit smaller so what Wynn does is he actually attacks people he's the aggressor a lot of the time in pass protection and I love to see that I mean he gets his hands on people and those guys don't move they get jolted and they do not move and then he's got some pretty good feet to go along with it too so it's a different style than I think what Patriots fans are used to seeing. I think a lot of Patriots fans with Trent Brown and Nate Solder, those guys were bigger guys that would allow guys to come to them and say, hey, if you're going to run through me, uh, you know that all the props to you, I don't think that anybody's running through Trent Brown. That's just not happening. So with Wynn, it's going to be different. It's going to look a little bit different, but I still think it's going to be really effective. Uh, he's been really impressive in practice. I, you know, he looks like a plug-and-play starter, first-round talent. I, I don't think that there's any question about that. A guy that seems to be answering some questions as well, particularly one that I don't think people question, that his motor, and that's Chase Winovich, who put on another show against the Titans. My favorite play, probably chasing down Akeem Hunt from behind. But what have you thought about his emergence over the past few weeks? 
I mean, how good has he been? My God. Just incredible, man. He's, he's incredible, incredible player, honestly. And I know that he's doing it against backups, but I think the thing that stands out to me the most with Chase is that he's got a plan on every single play. And it's not like a chicken with your head cut off. A lot of these rookies that get into the league, even these really athletic rookies like Chase, they'll just be around like madmen and they won't have a plan, have, you know, stick to their assignment. They're just going to be chasing the ball all around the field. Winovich had the ability to chase the ball, but do it in a smart, controlled, you know, controlled aggression type of way. He also has like a great understanding of run blocking schemes. You see it do it all the time where he's like slipping blocks at the line of scrimmage because he knows that they're coming at him or that he's, you know, doing little things here and there to maneuver around blockers because he's obviously not going to be like a take on guy like a Dante Hightower. He's going to have to use his, his quickness and his speed to slip around guys. And the other thing that you notice, you know, he ha- we always knew, I think, if you watched him at Michigan, that he had to turn the corner, the bend the arc, that kind of thing, right? Like he'd come off the ball, he could turn the corner tightly, and he could get to the quarterback. Now what he's doing is he's countering that. So in his second sack of the preseason, his his one against Tennessee, the tackle was setting against his speed and trying to stay in front of him. So Chase came with a counter club and climbed back up the pocket and you know really let the tackle get off balance and upfield, and then he came back and, and sacked the quarterback. So to see a guy at his age be able to, you know, a rookie have that kind of pass rush plan where he's got a move and a counter move, and his speed rush is a dominant move in the pass rush. You know, that's a, that's a move that has the potential to be a really cornerstone of his career. So to have a counter move to that, you know, we saw the counter like with the spin, the, the tackle, you know, with the swim move, excuse me, the tackle kind of set out to try to protect against the speed. And what does Winovich do? He sees that opening in the interior and he just swims right over the tackle and jumps inside and gets to the quarterback. So I, I think there's just a lot to really like about what's going on, you know, mentally with him to add to all the physical t- school, you know, talents that he has, all the tools that he has physically. I think that we knew all these things if you watched him at Michigan. I think that it was just a matter of was it going to all translate and was his size going to be more of a factor against him in the NFL? Uh, so far, I would say no. I think he's he's pretty much dominated the preseason. I, I think he might be like preseason MVP if they have one of those awards. Yeah, I mean, I, I was looking at PFF and not like PFF's graded and things is the be all and end all, but they've got him, you know, with a forty percent pass rush win rate, which yeah. is third best since like two thousand fifteen in the preseason. He was on the all preseason, you know, week two team. It just seems like they really stole him at seventy seven. Yeah, they really did, and it's it's you know when you look at it. At the time, it kind of felt backwards that Rashawn Gary got drafted ahead of Chase because Chase, if you watched the Michigan defense last year, was the better player. Yeah. You know, he was he was better than Rashawn Gary. He's more productive. He was more disruptive. And because Rashawn Gary has the size and the speed and all the tools that you look for, you know, the cookie cutter tools, he got drafted in the first round, top 15, you know, what was it, 12 or whatever it was. And Chase has to wait all the way to 77. And I think that it's already clear that Winovich is going to be probably at least as a rookie, but maybe even in longevity-wise, his entire career, the best player off that Michigan defense. And I don't think that if you said that to Scout or you said that to like kind of people that look at it more from an old-school perspective that you would have thought that. 
I got a question for you, Evan, from John Lamaracas via the Schofield Slack channel, which again, you could join. Hit me up for an invite at Mark Schofield on Twitter or mark.schofield at insidethepylon.com. And John was wondering, do you think there's a position they might try to upgrade before the season starts? Um, and is there any guy that they might try and make a move for via a trade if that's possible? Yeah, I think the two positions and listen, I think that there's definitely a chance that they could make a trade. Belichick is always, right, you right. know, on the phones trying to make trades, especially at that August thirty first to September first cut down. You know, they love to jump on guys before they get cut, right? And, you know, try to or maybe they see a, a team that has a ton of depth out of spots so they call them up. I think that the point the the positions though are really the same that they have been all summer and that's offensive tackle and tight end. I think at offensive tackle, they don't need a Trent Williams, right? I think Isaiah Wynn's going to be the guy, and he's going to be perfectly fine as the starter. But they could use a third, a veteran third tackle to bump Dan Skipper down the depth chart one more rung to the fourth tackle spot. I think that Dan Skipper as your swing tackle and your primary backup at that spot is a little bit worrisome. So if they can get a guy in here that can be more of a veteran backup, you know, someone like what they had with Adrian Waddle even last year would just be better, I think, than what Skipper has to offer them. Now, obviously, with Skarnakia, I'm sure that they could figure it out with Skipper and probably survive. But uh, why not, you know, upgrade at that spot? At the tight end spot, I really think that, you know, if they can't get a tackle, I think tight end is just a spot that they really are, are mighty thin. And, I mean, this is probably – the tight ends are probably the most barren position that I've seen uh, on a Belichick roster in a long time. You know, I, guys like Matt Lacoste and Lance Kendricks and Ryan Izzo and Andrew Beck, I mean, these guys all are, you know, I think these guys are just other guys, you know. Um, and, and they could really upgrade that spot. And Dixon maybe from Seattle, uh, Cameron Bright from Tampa, maybe the Tampa Bay – Bucks don't need two really good tight ends, and they trade one of them to the Patriots. It probably is not going to be O.J. Howard, so maybe it's Brait. Um, I, I could definitely see them looking to upgrade at the pass catcher spots and help Tom Brady out a little bit. All right, Evan, we'll get you out of here on this one. Obviously, preseason game three is usually referred to as the dress rehearsal. What are your expectations when the Patriots take on the Carolina Panthers? Yeah, I think the biggest expectation for me is that, you know, we're going to see Tom Brady a little bit in this game, I think. He tends to really like to play a lot in the third preseason game, actually. He treats it like a dress rehearsal, so we might see a pretty good amount of Brady. And I think this is the first glimpse that we're going to get with Brady in there. I don't know if Edelman's going to play, but if Edelman plays, it's going to be Brady in the starting offensive line and at least two or three of the receivers that are going to have big roles on this team and the tight end, obviously, too. So I think the question is, is what does this offense look like schematically from a base concept perspective without Gronk? You know, what is what is kind of their formula? Where do they kind of envision everybody lining up? Now, obviously, they're not going to have certain guys out there. So that's going to kind of, you know, mask it a little bit. They're not going to have Josh Gordon. They're not going to have uh, Nikhil Harriet, most likely, will not be playing in this game. So there are some, you know, still guys to come. But I think that trying to base what they're going to do without Gronk based off of what we've seen from Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham's offenses, if you will, is not going to be, you know, really what you're going to see when it's the starters and those main guys out there. So I'm interested to see what kind of it looks like, what they do with Devlin. Is he more involved, even more involved than he was last year, what they do at tight end, that sort of thing, because I think we're going to get a little bit of a glimpse of what post-Gronk life is going to look like. Fantastic stuff, Evan. Crushing it as always. Please let everybody know where they can find you and what you've got going on this year over at CLNS. 
Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at EZLazar. We also have my own podcast that we, uh, like I said at the top, we have Mark on uh, whenever we can, the All-22 podcast, Patriots All-22. And uh, that's EZLazar on Twitter. SealingThisMedia.com is where all the written stuff is. I said uh, earlier, too, we have a 53-man roster projection with me and Alex Barth kind of doing a dueling 53-man roster projection, so you can check that out. I wrote about the rookies and the, and the second-year players earlier in the week. Always have stuff around the games, you know, film reviews and play breakdowns and all that kind of stuff around the games. And, uh, you know, also follow our YouTube page, CLNS Media YouTube page. Uh, we do a lot of videos down at Gillette during the week and uh, after games, recapping stuff, talking about hot button topics, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, easy as are on Twitter, though, is where everything is. So if uh, I post something anywhere, it's going to be on there. Folks, if you're listening to the show, chances are you're a Pats fan. And if you are a Pats fan and you're not following Evan on Twitter and all of his work, you're simply just doing Twitter wrong. So please do follow him. Evan, man, thanks so much for coming on. That will do it for this episode, episode five of the Sco Show. Up next, Brandon Thorne's going to come on. We're going to talk offensive line. So look for that on Thursday. Until then, please keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxborough.